Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hey, welcome to today's podcast. Don't forget to join us over on Facebook to get involved in the discussion after you've listened. The group you need to join to do that is called Dog Talk with Nick Benger Podcast Discussion Group. Head over there and find out why the fans of the show are now starting to be referred to as the baby eaters, which I think is hilarious and way less dark than it sounds, I promise. If you're already a regular baby eater, then... And you, and you do find that you get a lot of entertainment out of listening to these podcasts, then please consider contributing to the Patreon. That would really help me out. And you get a load of cool benefits like video one-to-ones, Q&As, email support. You can automate your support from as little as a price of coffee over at patreon.com slash nickbenger. Today, I'm talking to Rob Hewings. Rob was in the Metropolitan Police for 30 years. 25 of those were in the police dog section and now he's most well known for running the UK College of Scent Dogs where pet owners, dog trainers and people that want to become accredited scent dog handlers can go and get accredited and train dogs to search planes and rooms and all kinds of really cool shit. He's got some really uh, fun looking stuff going on so I hope you enjoy this one. So how did you end up going from Wales to Metropolitan Police, right? Um, Army. And when I was in Aldershot, I walked past the Metropolitan Police recruiting caravan and and saw the difference in pay scales. Oh, wow. Money. (laughs) Okay, so were you a dog trainer in the Army then? No, no. Ordinary soldier. Okay, so you started off as an ordinary police officer as well then? Yeah, yeah. Um, six years in a parachute regiment. I'm an ex-paratrooper. And then I went into um, Metropolitan Police. Ordinary beat Bobby. Um, no desires to be commissioner or anything. And I think within completing my training at Hendon, one of my instructors was a dog handler. And that did it for me. Absolutely sold on being a dog handler. So my earliest opportunity, I think I had about five years service and I applied for dogs. Oh, wow. Cool. So is, um, from what I've heard, it's really difficult to get into the dog sections, isn't it? Uh, yeah, still, you have to jump through many hoops of fire. I think uh, I'll be, I'll, I could have been lucky with a bit of um, old boys network and regimental ties. So did you have to do your degree to get into that job or no. did you just do it on top? No, not at all, Nick. Um, I'd been in a dog section, I would say. 15 years, 15, 16 years, and um, loved the dog school, absolutely loved the dog school. So whenever I went to the dog school to see the PCs doing full-time dog training, um, they're ex-dog handlers, obviously, and then you go into full-time dog training at the uh, Met Police Dog School, I, I, I had to apply. And then one day on my trainer's course, and, I, and I, that's about 2006, I said to the instructor, how and why? Now, I can't, I'm a bit of a how guy, a bit of a why monster, really. <laughs> and I asked the instructor, you know, why is he doing that? Why? 
why are some of the dogs acting differently to the same behave but the same training and he basically said great question go and find out okay okay so i did i i i filled out some application forms as a mature learner no o levels no a levels you know i was a scraggy old copper and ended up at bishop burton oh nice got taken under the wing of um, as Sam was the witches of eastwick i used to call them which was um you'll know marion marion yeah, just... yeah um she was my lifesaver i'll be honest with you she taught me how to write academically um linda taylor yeah i know linda super super wonderful dog trainer and pauline jackson was the third the three of them i i know i know of pauline but um she wasn't one of my lecturers unfortunately yeah and those three um life-changing Bearing in mind that you come from a um, a force-based, as in um, punishment-based dog training establishment, um, we we do we do the police do use positive reinforcement. But back then, um, I was talking about how you would you would get there and you would use punishment to get there and then reward the dog at the end with a ball. But I am going back some years, and to have all that. All those beliefs that I picked up over 15, 16 years of um, professional dog handling then changed, completely changed at Bishop Burton. Completely changed. Has that, has that changed in the police now? Yes, yeah, very much so. Um, positive reinforcement is coming in very, very strongly. Um, encouraged, you know, the officers are encouraged to go out and find, find their own research and, and take on courses as much as they possibly can. Yeah, it, it is. You, 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 there's still very much an entrenched community in the police, but that's the police generally, as is the military. Hmm. They tend to learn from each other, not from outside agencies. That's interesting, isn't it? Because, and actually, is it the same in the army then? Is it becoming more positive reinforcement or is it still a bit old school? Absolutely no idea about the dog section in the army. Um, I've done a couple of seminars, a couple of bite seminars at Melton Mowbray, um, and they seem very, very positive reinforcement. Okay, um, so with the there. with the police, is it like that across the board, or does it vary between uh, what would you call it, counties or gr- groups? Um, there's um, a police officer I'll mention uh, by the name of Guy Williams, who sets up the impact seminars, and Guy is Avon and Somerset. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> that's that's yeah, it is from your neck of the woods. Yeah, uh, definitely. He is so pro positive reinforcement the, the lads are genius I, I i really got a lot of time for him okay. really nice guy um great with people great with dogs and it's officers like that and there are a lot of them in the police but we we love our dogs but there's officers like guy that will take things even more forward and break out of that entrenched community that they're involved in at the minute that's so important in any kind of community, isn't it? That you have those people that are innovating and, um, you know, changing things. Oh. It's interesting that you say that, though, because I don't, obviously, I don't know. I've never been involved in the police or the military or anything, so my exposure is tiny. Um, but when you see photos from other countries, like I'm particularly thinking of America here, like you still see dogs with like prong collars on and all that kind of thing. So. That's really interesting. I think some of the people that are listening to this that are American are going to be a bit mind-blown by that because I think there's still quite an attitude over there that for that kind of work, you do need to use heavy punishment. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Nick. Um, I was lucky enough to go to America, to California, to study assistance dog training for three months. And I, just, just a passing conversation with another dog trainer, um, and that dog trainer actually told me, I cannot believe it, Rob, I cannot believe you're a police officer, you have trained patrol street dogs how to bite people, and you do not use a prong collar or an e-collar. And I'm saying it's, it's, it's a simple, simple method. And then when I sat down and explained that um, what does a dog prefer more than a bite, another bite, and how you can manipulate the dog off one sleeve onto another and then throw in some control, um, a little bit of basic dog training thrown in as well. Um, honestly, this it was the Philadelphia police officer thought I was revolutionary. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? But uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you started off in the army, you went to the police, then you started working at the dog school, but then didn't you end up quite high up in running the, the dog school? No, 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 no. Always a PC. Um, oh, okay. The the dog school's run by an inspector. I've always been a PC all the way through. So um, despite me having a uh, and now a great list of academic qualifications, my rank was always a PC. And um, the instructions side of it is done by police officers. So always, always a PC and really enjoying the instruction. Okay, so it sounds like you loved that job. So why did you end up going through, uh, going to creating your own college of scent dogs? Thirty years, Nick. Thirty years service, and I can remember sitting in my office, looking around, and I did my, um, I did my master's degree at Middlesex University, and I did my doctorate at Sunderland University, and was um, very much involved in self-reflection, as you can imagine, going through this kind of educational journey. Um, involved in self-reflection and sitting there and looking and thinking to myself I've done 30 years I've had a great great fantastic time met some great people and I found myself doing the same thing time and time and time again and I thought it was about time you know 30 years time to retire I retired and took on the challenge of the UK College of Scent Detection um, uh, I just felt the time was right. I'd given as much as I could give to the police. And I wanted to go on and do exciting things for myself. For the first time, take on a bit a business myself and see where we could go with that. Yeah, I imagine that's quite daunting, isn't it? Because that's a hell of a change. Terrifying. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. I've been let out of an institution. I've been told, I've been to, come on, let's be honest. I've even been told what to wear every day. You what time to turn up to work, what to wear, how to train, when to write lesson plans, when to do administration, when not to do administration, when to train the dogs, where to go. And from there on in now, it's it's all up to me. Fortunately, I've got a great business partner that um, does the business side of it. But uh, yeah, it is absolutely terrifying. I'm sure I could start my own community of practice with people that have come out of big institutions and are now working on their own. Yeah, because that's the ultimate move as well, to go from, like you said, that real routine to then self-employment, which self-employment is the complete opposite. You, like you said, you have ultimate freedom. So that's, yeah. a, that's a difficult change, I would imagine. Oh, it's been, it's been difficult, but it's been great to do things like um, not having to work, and I, and I don't mean this in a, a kind of a detrimental way, not having to work for a sausage machine 
where you have to turn out a dog at a certain standard, licensing standard, by the end of a certain amount of time. And if, if things don't go so well, of course, we haven't got a, and it's a bad word, I think I'm picking a bad word here, we haven't got the confidence to try new methods because they might not work. So your, your system might fall to pieces. You may not get the dogs out at a particular time. So which is why I say we were doing the same thing and again and again and again. And to be professional about it, if a dog wasn't up to standard, we would just change the dog for another one. Yeah, now, absolutely. Now, what kind of what kind of percentage is there? How many how many dogs make it? Oh, the 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 Met the Met. I can only speak for the Metropolitan Police. They run their own breeding program, and their police shepherds, their their street dogs, their German shepherds, um, are nigh on perfect, ninety nine percent. Um, the Spaniels, the Labradors. Uh, probably a little bit less, maybe around about 85%. Okay. So those methods are are proven and they work until something goes a bit wrong. And, of course, if you use the same training methodology time and time and time again, when you have to employ a different methodology, you're not going to have that depth of knowledge, are you? You're not going to have that education that I believe is all important. So do they not take dogs from other breeders then? They do, they do, but the Met very, very rarely because the Met run their own breeding program. Oh, okay. Is that I would imagine is is that different between forces then? Yeah, very much so. Um, the Met are lucky. They're, yeah, sure. They're big, great big establishment. Um, I'd love to say lots of money coming in, but um, I never knew about the the finance side of it. Um, do they send dogs around the country then, or do yeah, they just? Yeah, they do. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So what's your preference then for um, scent dogs? Like you mentioned there, German Shepherds, Labradors, um, Spaniels. Obviously, you've got a cockapoo at the moment, which is a real contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> Great dog. <laughs> Great challenge. Um, that's testing my knowledge, I can, I'll be honest with you. Um, okay, let's go back to scent. Traditionally, in this country, I think... Um, my my favourite dog, my favourite working dog I've seen work is uh, a Sprocker, a Cocker Springer Cross. Absolutely wonderful dogs. Um, cockers seem to be too bright for me, and for the police generally, they're too blooming intelligent, and they're wonderful dogs. Once you you get on their wavelength, um, Springers, they can be a little bit exuberant at times. But I'm I'm a bit biased, Nick. I'll be honest with you. I love my spaniels, but all dogs. All dogs and, um, can do scent work. And since the last 18 months with the college, the dogs that have provided the best results of all things have been Rottweilers. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. They've been fantastic. Oh, unbelievably fantastic. They, they, if I was going to film a, an ideal dog to do an indication, the Rotties that have come through the college have been wonderful. Wow, that's that's uh, that really surprises me. Yeah, and me. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's interesting because I mean, I've worked. I haven't done scent work with a Rottweiler that I can think of, but I did a lot of scent work with a Doberman that had a fantastic nose. Um, so, why don't you think that those kind of, like? Why do you think that it's become that we always or the police always use like the same breeds? Tradition. Simple as that. Tradition. 
And okay. then um, you've got the likes of, and this is um, this is quite exciting. I think it's Durham Constabulary. I think. Please, uh, I'm not sure. I, 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 something at the back of my mind is saying Durham Constabulary, who have used um, rescue dogs. I was going to ask you about that. Little cheeky little staffy, I think. That seems like a really good idea if you can make it work. It kind of solves two problems there, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, but let's let's talk about my um, my cockapoo. <laughs> He's a rescue. Um, he came to us with um, your typical kind of problems you suspect. Huge, huge resource garden. Um, he came with a bite history. So he could, um, dogs trusted only that and go to certain people. Uh, resource guarder, as I said. And for the first couple of weeks, unbelievably violent resource guarder. Quite frightening. You know, I've, I've, I've stood and faced many a German shepherd over the years. But <laughs> an, an angry cockapoo. <laughs> um, quite violent. Didn't bite me, but certainly threatened a few times. Um, I realized he was just warning me. So we've gone for the first couple of months, all uh, resource guarding, problem solving, um, nice. And all I've done is I've loved him to death. And what a turnaround. What a lovely little boy he is. And now he's starting to do scent work. And even he's joining in on the tracking courses we run at the college. So, so how, do, how does his performance or that cockapoo kind of, how do they compare? He's... Um, his tracking has knocked me for six. Um, he was he was not training as much. And let, let's talk about a tracking course that we run at the college. It's a five-day tracking course. And I try and give, um, hopefully, try and have an odd number of attendees on the tracking course so I can spend time going around the group making pairs. So I'll, I'll split people up and I'll, I'll work with them, which doesn't give me any chance at all to work the cockapoo. We did a couple of demonstrations and a couple of bits and pieces. Long story short, I would say at the end of the five days, he was compatible, if not better, than the rest of the course. He absolutely loves it. And now I'm I'm, I'm tracking with him now. I, I take him out tracking. He really enjoys it. He seems to have changed his... He, he seems to have changed his life. And I, I, don't, I don't want to really kind of sing from the rooftops about this wonderful dog because he'll only do five or six um, legs a little a little bit of a track that's say maybe half an hour old um, but he he would hold his own in an end of initial course licensing test with police dogs at the oh, moment wow. <laughs> that's what he would do now everything else not a hope in hell but tracking he's, he's getting there with tracking he's beginning to love his scent work and it has become such such a thing to watch where you can see him. He's, he's obviously a bright little lad. You can see him thinking. You can see him applying himself. And the enrichment he's had over the last couple of uh, months has changed his life. He's turned into a different dog. He's a happy little lad, runs around, lovely of recall, runs around with my spaniel, enjoys life with him, and is now... Meeting other dogs in the park. He's a little bit skittish, but we're going to get there with that. Uh, he's turning out to be a lovely little boy, so well done to the Dogs Trust. Oh, awesome. Well, well done to you. I mean, it's brilliant to... I, I love that, when you can get a dog into an activity like that. 
um, I think it does really improve their quality of life. It, absolutely. Couldn't agree with more. Um, wonderful. Wonderful to see him. It's, it's even his, um, his physical bearing has changed. He kind of walks like you'd expect to see a cockapoo walk now. He walks with this jaunty little skip. Before, he used to walk with his tail down, a little bit miserable. Um, yeah, it's, it's changed his life. I, yeah, I, it can give them a lot of... Um, I think... It's, I think it's the same as people, isn't it? You know, if you if you feel like you're good at something, you know, if you if you feel like if you've got like to, I don't want to steal the old phrase, but it's kind of like that idea of giving the dog a job. Like if you've given them something that they feel like they have some kind of purpose, and they are going to feel better about themselves. Yeah, yeah. He does have his little search areas on our walk. Um, I carry contact scent with me. Um, he searches for either um, truffle oil or. Licorice tea bags. Don't okay. ask me why I put them on licorice tea bags. I have absolutely no idea. I think I like the packaging when I went to Sainsbury's. <laughs> um, but yeah, truffle oil or licorice tea bags. And now, even if we walk past his little roots he searches, he does a little root search or a little tiny area search, he will go into those areas and search despite whether I've put the contact scent out or not. Well, that raises an interesting point, actually, because... I, um, the, where I first learned to do tracking was, um, with Steve Matt of the IMDT, uh, doing the, the tracking course that they, they did with my little terrier. And, um, he, he's the same. He absolutely loved it. So since then I've been using, um, what I think is probably quite an, an older method, but it works brilliantly with my little dog, which is to start off with uh, like a food trail and then fade the food out. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time people ask me about that, um, a little bit dubious about how easy it's going to be to fade the food out. But I find that once they start to understand the game and they start to enjoy it, I see it over and over again that the dogs sometimes won't even eat the food because they're enjoying the tracking so yeah. much they'd rather just carry on. There's some there's stacks and stacks of interesting evidence about um, about things like that. For example, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're aware, we we sell ourselves, the UK College of Scent Dogs sell ourselves as, and I'm, I'm hopefully right in this, I'm hopefully right, that um, we are an evidence-based dog training establishment. We will use evidence. Now, I'm lucky I've still got access to Science Direct. I've still got access through the university. I, I still visit Sunderland University frequently. And, for example, you mentioned ab about um, food and fading food out. If you classically condition a scent before doing any training, so I would classically condition my, and I'm talking at the, you know, kind of a, a Pavlov's Bell type thing where I I feed the dog over scent, so I will hold his licorice tea bag or, or or whatever scent in a pot, put another pot over the top of that with holes in, and feed the dog. So I'm I'm getting the dog associating the scent of that um, tea bag with something good he eats. I do no training, I put no markers in, and with tracking, we do exactly the same because we create that ground disturbance, we create all the crushed vegetation. And we classically condition a dog when he puts his nose down, sniffs that broken gra ground, sniffs that grass. I get a reinforcer. I get that. Um, and that kind of then slips into um, evidence from um, 
a favourite, favourite book of mine, The Archaeology of the Mind, by um, Jack Panskep and uh, Lucy Bivin. Look at that, God, I can tell I'm an academic, I'm just coming straight up with it all. Um, <laughs> no, we love that, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's, um, by that book, and if you look at, you, this is how I visualise things, I'm flicking through the book, chapter three, where they talk about the need to look for something, the seeking, the seeking side of everything and how exciting it is. And I liken that to us getting a super duper present, really well wrapped present. And we're looking at this, there's bows and ribbons on it and it's a really well wrapped present. And the excitement, the anticipation you get for looking or opening that present is the same as the dogs get for looking for what they're searching for. So yeah, they will miss out the food on the track because they get they're looking for it. Yeah, I'm going to get to the end. I'm going to get to the end. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be best thing ever. I don't know what it's going to be at the end. It could be my toy. It could be my food. It could be a tuggy. Great. I'm going to have some great fun with dad when I get to the end of it. I'm going to get to the end. Brilliant. And that anticipation, a very very simplified overview of it, is what it's all about. And I think that does the dogs so much good. Yeah, it's interesting because I got the impression um, that that way of training tracking was a little bit older or maybe is not as fashionable anymore and I was talking to um, Sarah Owings the other day and I was and we were talking about tracking and she was like oh how have you done it and I explained to her but I was almost feeling a little bit guilty as I explained it I was kind of like I'm not really sure I'm doing it the right way but this is how I learned and this is is worked really well for me to be honest and she was like why why do you feel guilty about it it's worked really well like you know the proof is in the pudding there's nothing to be um there's nothing to be ashamed of um but i don't i can't even um list the argument against it but i've i'm sure that i've heard people say that it maybe isn't the best way of doing it i can i'll i'll throw in an argument against it um and i'm going back in time now because um i can remember when the, this food reinforcement method came into the police I can remember the, the months when it was coming in and the senior handlers were saying, you don't want to use food on the track, son. You don't want to be doing that because what you're going to do is teach the dog, and the phrase they used was to grub, to sniff around the floor and eat food rather than doing its job. Um, and then uh, a wise old instructor gave the example of, so you're tracking with your dog through southeast London and you haven't used food and then there's... Um, there's a kebab lying on the floor. What will your dog do? Well, he'll have a mouthful of kebab and carry on tracking. So my dog has tracked on food. It also has a mouthful of kebab. It also carries on tracking. But because it's it's an established reinforcer, halfway through its track, rather than get told off for eating the kebab, it'll just be accepted as a reinforcer. So <laughs> That's an interesting way of looking at it. I've not heard that before. A quick bit of lamb off the kebab. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting twist on it. I never thought about it like that. <laughs> we can't stop our dogs from being those uh, opportunists, can we? You know, no matter how much they eat food off their tracks or off the floor, whether you've trained them to track on food or whether you've trained them to track on just ground disturbance for their toy, if there's meat there, they're going to have just a little cheeky mouthful and carry well, on doing their job. That's very interesting to hear you say that because I, I thought that you might be one of these people that was very strict about hey my dog shouldn't eat food when he's tracking he should just be focused on on completing the track 
Nick, you don't know me very well. <laughs> I'm probably the most laid-back, casual dog under that ever there was in the Met. Um, you know, I, I, I liken a lot of things to how I would feel if I was, um, if I was working on a search and um, I don't know. There yeah, was, was a kebab. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm on the floor, maybe, but you know, free kebab given give away. Um, we're visual, aren't we? Um, if there was something I whilst I was searching and I thought, oh, hello, have a look at that. As a, a, our unwelt, our, our our surroundings is visual. So if something attracts my eye, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great motorcyclist. Whilst I'm searching for a bad guy, if there was a, a vintage Triumph motorcycle in an illuminated garage, I'd have a look inside and think, oh, God, look at that. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. So, What's wrong with our dog stopping for a few seconds and having a sniff of maybe that kebab or having a little sniff of what's been going on on the floor? And then you say, come on, son, let's carry on with the work. Okay, Dad, I'm with you. Carry on working rather than don't don't be eating that kebab on the floor. Stop doing that. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's, I wouldn't like anybody if I was working and kept on at me like that. If I want to look at a vintage motorcycle or something else, I will. But I'll carry on working. So, yeah, that's, that's how I was with my dogs. I would... Let them have a few seconds of doing dog stuff, and then we carry on searching. I figure this must be different with scent work, where you're searching people's houses, because obviously yeah. you don't want them just kind of like raiding the cupboards when they're looking no. for. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to raid in the cupboards. Um, I used to be a, a, a firearms um, support dog handler, working with a firearms team, and we used to do a lot of work looking for armed criminals. And I must admit, I've had a firearms team um, because I, I'm. I'm a predominantly a great big coward, so I will hide behind walls and hide behind armed police officers while they go and do their job and send my dog in to search. But I can remember being told by these armed police officers things like, your dog's gone up the corridor, mate. Thank you. He's gone into the living room. He's searching the living room. I can see him. He's, he's out of sight. Okay. He's come out of the living room. He's gone across the corridor, and he's gone into the kitchen. Okay. He's eating the cat food. <laughs> Done. Okay, he's finished the cat food. He's now searching again. <laughs> they're, they're, they're dogs. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, that's interesting. So I figure though as well, you're you're obviously coming from this from a background of having done this for real. So is the way that you train people in your college different to maybe people that are trying to do this for sport? Um. Okay, let me um, explain how the college works. We work on a, we've kind of got a two-strand basis. We can we can train operational dog handlers, which we do, and that's one side of it. And we also train, and we have a, we're very very popular in the pet dog market. Um, I have um, I've been told by somebody by somebody by somebody that um, I'm rather obsessive with indication, and I've when I started training the pet dog world as a ex-professional dog handler um, I realised the pet dog world want to do the fun and the exciting the actual letting your dog go to search Mm. so from there on in rather than spend a long time doing um, repetitions on indication and, and being quite rigid in my training I've changed it However, there are other reasons why I've changed from working on solidly 
do indication first, indication, 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 is one, this is for the pet dog market, and you can see people getting a little bit bored. And so I did a little bit of a desktop research program and found out that repetitive behaviours um, for the dogs can be boring. Um, I'm thinking now um, we're talking about repetitive behaviours with the dog, um, kind of a Keller Breland effect. If I continue doing positive reinforcement with this dog and the same thing all the time, he may learn that, no challenges, get bored and go back to his instinctive behaviours. And so if you read um, any work by uh, Stephen Lindsay, there's an interesting, and I can't, he wrote three volumes. Now I'm trying to remember which one. I can't. But one of his volumes talks about the Breland effect and how dogs would rather do what they're programmed to do, i.e. search, rather than do the boring repetitions. So working closely in the pet dog market, carrying out some desktop research about um, instinctive drifts and what Keller Breland was talking about all those years ago, it has made me change my lesson plans and the way we train at the college. We do a little bit of indication and we use a kind of a pre-MAC principle. If you do a one second indication, you can do a five pot search to your next indication, which could be two seconds. And then you can do a seven pot search to your next indication. So we're reinforcing the dog's indication with Panscape seeking. And we're also letting the dog handler, the pet dog trainer, see this progression of their dog, which is why they're there. They're there to do search, aren't they? And not have this stone bonker absolute indication that I was obsessed with when I was a police dog trainer. Is that different between the working dogs and the pet dogs? Um, I would say it would be different with the, the training methodology as... As I said before, we, we tended to work to one training methodology, and if your dog didn't fit in with that, we'd get another dog. Now, you can't do that in the pet world, obviously. Um, so it has, working with the pet dog industry, has completely changed the way I would train now. If I went back, if, if I could rewind the clocks and I went back to the police dog school, I would try my best probably be unsuccessful because I'd be outnumbered 14 to 1, but I would change the way I train scent. And that's all learned from training pet dog trainers over the last 18 months. It's that's been a fantastic learning journey. That's really interesting because I know that a lot of the scent courses will spend um, months training the indication before really even messing with the searching yeah. stuff. Yep. But what, what I've, I found, and I, I've, um, I don't know if you know, I'm, I'm behind this window that's open on my screen is um, I'm just reviewing chapter five of my search book. Um, it's my um, original manuscript has come back from the publishers and we're just going through it and it should be published very, very shortly. But I've changed chapter five for this very reason because I've learned so much from the pet dog market and how it affects the the esteem of the person. Seeing their dog have a little four or five pot search um, is, is, 
it's so rewarding for me to see the people enjoying it as much as the dogs and the dogs not doing that um, same repetitive behavior. You'll work on indication first. You'll work on it, you'll work on it, you'll work on it. Remember, there's not the method of dog training, is there? There's lots of different methods that we as trainers have got to take on board anyway. So that is, it has been fascinating for me. It's a massive learning journey. Certainly, yeah. Um, it's something I've been experimenting with a bit recently as well since, oh, I'm going to forget. I want to say it was Patricia McConnell that I've heard this from, but I might be wrong. Um, I was I heard someone talking about this idea of uh, behavioral momentum, where if you can get the dog doing, if you can get the dog having uh, multiple success, uh, six, success. Oh my god, <laughs> six, good repetitions of uh, of a behavior, then you can build up this momentum, um, even when you're teaching them new behaviors. So, for example, um, I've been teaching, um, I was teaching our little dog, Louie, recently, the difference between sit down and stand. But then to to make sure that he's got a high rate of reinforcement, he's having a good time, and also we're building a little bit of momentum, then I might throw in some other behaviours that he knows really well, and then go back to it. So I've definitely noticed a big difference in that, which kind of sounds a bit similar to what you're doing with the yeah. work. Yeah, because dogs know how to search. Let's let's be honest. The search, what I teach, I wouldn't teach anything complicated because I don't see myself as a, a, that kind of dog trainer. I'm, um, I'll always look for an easy route. And to teach a dog to track is something they can always do naturally anyway, so it makes me look great, but let's be honest, it's a dog. And search, again, is something a dog does naturally. Now, if you look at um, work by uh, David Croyer, who's a scent dog trainer in America, he teaches indication first, absolute indication, and he generalizes indication using um, all the different Ds and doing what he does, and then eventually he goes from indication to search. Saying, and his argument is, dogs search naturally, so why do I need to teach it? And I, I like his argument. I like his method. That's a method. I see my method as a method. But um, recently I've been toying around with um, a three-circle uh, Venn diagram where I've drawn the three circles and the, the bit in the middle where all three meet. That will be my success. That will be my ideal search. And the three circles around the outside edge are built up of um, the search behavior, the indication behavior, and the, the scent ID, the scent identification. And and we can snatch little bits from each circle in our Venn diagram to push into the middle. So we can snatch little bits to work on to train um, and be very, very flexible with our training, giving the dog something to do, search, because they enjoy it. Jack Penscap says that. And we can work on a little bit of that we can work on a little bit of indication. And I even know of some scent dog trainers who will not, who will teach indication solely on an empty box rather than putting contact scent in an empty box. So you can kind of mix things up. And, and I suppose the skill of a trainer is looking at each individual dog and thinking, what would you benefit more from at this particular time? And how can we control the environment to make your training as exciting and as as happy as we possibly can so we have to be flexible 
I think. Yeah, yeah. when I first got into um, scent work, I was just learning from DVDs and I was very self-taught. And as a result, I made a ton of mistakes. And um, actually, this will probably resonate with you a little bit because I was training scent work as my um, task for the Bishop Burton practical assessment. Yeah. Um, which actually is a funny story behind that. Um, but anyway, so I messed up and I had accidentally rewarded my dog for scratching at the scent. Um, And this was like a real problem for me. And it was really frustrating because I really wanted the kind of um, freeze focused response, whatever you want to call it, um, which I thought looked ridiculously cool. And I still do. Um, So it it was kind of a personal thing that had irritated me a little bit. And, um, and I, one of my kind of, uh, one of the moments that really clicked for me when was when I was talking to Mustafa from um, the IMDT and he was saying about it that you have to either control the dog or you have to control the reinforcement. And that was like, oh, wow, you, you're completely right. Because I was doing my searches off lead and the reinforcement was out there. So the dog could just do what he wanted, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, but this, what that reminded me of is that when I did my practical assessment, I'd done all this training in... I tried to generalize and all this kind of stuff. And then I went to do my assessment at Bishop Burton and it was during a snowstorm and there was just snow everywhere. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm trained for snow. Um, so that made it a lot more difficult. And then I was talking to Linda beforehand because Linda was the person that was doing the assessment and I was telling her about the problem I've been having with scratching. And she was like, why don't you just make your indication the scratching? Scratch, yeah. And I was like, I just... It was so stupid, but I just stuck to my guns and I uh, I fucked it right up. But <laughs> <laughs> I should have taken her advice. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do um I had to do assistance dog stuff for my um I can remember sitting in the classroom and there were Linda, Marion, and Pauline sitting out and saying, "Right, Rob, what are you going to do? Uh, tracking, please. No, can't do tracking. You've done it professionally. Oh." Scent work, no, can't do scent work. Um, obedience, no, you can't do obedience. Agility, no, you've done all these professionally, you can't do any of these. Um, shuts and stuff, no. And I was really running out of things. And then we're talking about first year, Bishop and I didn't have a clue what was going on. Unbeknown to me, Linda, Marion and Pauline had made a plan that they were going to refuse everything that I suggested until I got to the stage where I just said, well, dancing with dogs? <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to see you dance for all. Oh, they wanted to see me make complete and utter fool of myself. <laughs> but, um, I was fortunately, I was sitting alongside a hearing dogs uh, trainer. And she said, do some hearing dogs work. And so I, and that, that was, you could probably tell by the tone of my voice in the classroom on the day where I went, something from hearing dogs? Yeah, Rob, brilliant. Three behaviours. So basically, I um, I did a deal with my um, hearing dogs instructor because she was doing search person as hers. So we swapped lesson plans. And if this goes out public now to Marion, she'll go absolutely nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, you must have some really memorable stories and times from working in the police. Is there are there any searches or incidents that really stick out? Cool. Um, trouble and mischief. Um, my dog got me into so much trouble. Um, 
But the one thing he did do, uh, Scooby was was my kind of my shepherd at her, that I think he was about my third or fourth German shepherd. And by then I'd become more experienced. So I think Scooby was my better police dog. He was good at his job. Um, and we came to an agreement that I would drive Scooby to work and he wouldn't get angry with me. I think that's the understanding that me and Scoob had. But I can remember one, um, Scooby was scared of the water. My Spaniel would jump in the water and swim. Uh, Scoob would sit on the side and watch him. He was terrified of water, absolutely terrified. But one day we got called to a, um, we got called to a series of robberies that had taken place. I remember it well. It was a series of, of quite violent robberies that took place on a train. And the police stopped the train at a particular station. We didn't know this was going on at the moment. I'm just, as you can imagine, I'm just driving around the streets of southeast London in my van. Um, they took the robber off the train, who then broke a police officer's cheekbone. With He was wearing a knuckle duster and he had his hands in his pocket so you couldn't see him. He ran away from the officer. Um, they called the dog section. Because a long story short, um, we searched a park which ended up at the, um, the entrance to a storm drain where the water was about ankle deep coming out of this storm drain. And we had to bend, myself and my colleague had to bend over to get into this storm drain. Um, Scooby ran down to the storm drain. Um, and I thought, if that dog's got his paws wet, there must be a good reason why he's going down the storm drain. So we followed him down the storm drain and the storm drain was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So now we were walking bent over into the darkness. The dog was still ahead of us. Um, I lit the dog up with my torch and I could see him trying to climb into a an out kind of drain where stuff was flowing out. The sewerage water was flowing out and Scooby was on his hind legs trying to get into this hole. So we lifted him up, put him in there and my colleague and I are now underground having to crawl along this hall with my body armour scraping the top of the tunnel and, my, and I'm on my hands and knees and it is a drain in southeast London. So there's no prices for guessing the little things that were floating towards us as well. It was stinking, and the dog was still working in front of us, still working. He went down, he did a couple of rights and lefts, and it ended up into a big area where he leapt out into the big area, barked, he'd found the suspect, the suspect attacked the dog, and the dog bit the suspect, and now the suspect was drowning my dog. Um, they were both gone underwater. He was forcing the dog's head underwater, obviously um, using my best and my safest self-defense technique. I managed to say to the person, stop drowning my dog to death. Um, I'm in the darkness, so I'm, a, I'm allowed a little bit of poetic license. I think nobody could see me. Um, my colleague and I managed to handcuff this guy, control him, arrest him. On the way out, again, we had to go out the way we came in. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Scooby um, then stopped, and I kid you not, he stopped. He submerged his head further into the water. I, I kind of looked at him, shone my torch onto the, on through as best I could through the water. We're now crawling on our hands and knees. Scooby had picked up a purse and a mobile phone from the robbery that the guy had done on the train. And he'd hidden the mobile phone and the purse in, you know, got rid of the property because he knew the police were after him. We, we got him out of the sewerage. Um, 
we were stinking, Nick. We were. I had lumps of some stuff you'd expect to see floating around in a sewage, tucked in my shirt, down in my trap. We were absolutely filthy, stinking, rotten, dirty. Myself and my colleague, nobody would speak to us. Um, I think we cleared the park once we got out of the um, sewage with a dog. But that dog tracked that guy through an area, and we walked it afterwards, and it was nearly a mile of of um, underground tunnels with water coming down, flowing. Sometimes Scooby was swimming to follow that track where we were crawling. Um, and he got, he got the guy. Uh, the guy ended up doing nearly um, 16 years imprisonment for the violent robberies he had done. That is absolutely incredible. Uh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well done to the dog. Um, obviously, uh, the, the behind the thing scene you don't see is when all the police officers in that police station will not speak to me and my colleague. We weren't allowed to go upstairs to the canteen. We weren't allowed to go anywhere other than the custody suite until we got into the back of the police van because they realised we both needed to go to the hospital for tetanus jabs and whatever else other nasty things we could have picked up in the sewage. It was stinking rotten. They had to clean out the van after they took myself and my colleague to the hospital and the suspect had to go to the hospital as well to have his jabs. And I think that's when the, um, the police suspect relationship was improved greatly because... I don't think any of us really wanted to go to the hospital for injections. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, what a story. That was that was incredible. So Scoob did well. He, he won something called Action Dog of the Year for that, so that was a, a very good award. There are loads of other things, but most of it, because of my sense of humour, is um, funny stupidity and daft things that those dogs have done. Well, that's a brilliant story. See, and also a good example of, I think, what puts a lot of people off from going into like the army or the police in terms of with dogs, because obviously we love dogs. We, you know, we uh, form a strong relationship with them. And then to see someone, you know, beating your dog up, trying to drown it you know, is, is going to be really emotional. You know, if like, oh, it must take so, so much restraint. It does. Uh, it, does. it does. But things, things happen that, you know, I, I've been questioned many a time. Um, and this is how my mind works. People have said to me, you, you've, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to abseil down the side of buildings with a dog. Um, I've, I've done rapid responses with him. We were training up to abseil out of helicopters. Um, the things I've done with that dog have been fantastic. But people are saying, why are you sending it? Why are you prepared to send your dog into an armed situation to find a guy who could have a gun? You realise your dog could be shot. But my argument has always been, and this has, has kept me kind of kept my feet firmly on the ground. Um, I would, and, and some people may disagree with me, but I would rather send my dog in to find an armed suspect to give those police officers the heads up that there's somebody hiding in that building with a gun, rather than send a dad in of two young kids who could end up getting shot. That's a very good point as well, and I think that sometimes. Because this kind of community that we're involved in, like dog training and, and dogs and stuff, there are a lot of people in it that are very anti-people and very pro-animal, sometimes to the point of ridiculousness. I've, 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 I've sat there, I've sat and listened to things I don't understand. Like, um, 
and I, I never got involved in the conversation, but I can remember a conversation with two people talking, and it was, um, oh, I love dogs. I love dogs so much. Dogs are just so much better than people. I would much rather work with dogs and people, you know, and, and I don't like working with people. That's why I want to be a dog trainer. And I thought, you're not training the person at the other end of the leash. There are two ends of the leash that are really important to us. Being able to talk to the person and teach the person and being able to tell the person how to deal with their dog. So I don't know how you can not be a people person in this fantastic job of ours. Well, I think that that is a big flaw with a lot of a lot of people that go into this industry and become dog trainers is they don't realize that essentially it's a coaching job. Yeah. Essentially, you, you are coaching people and the best dog trainers are the people that are good at coaching people as well as training dogs. It's like that book, um, my go-to book. It's, it's probably my go-to book because it's got pictures in and that's how to coach people to train their dogs by Terry Ryan. It's kind uh, of got a cartoon on the front. I know, I'm coaching people to train their dogs. And that book, all right, it's a little bit dated now, but that is is my go-to book. As as much as I should probably shouldn't admit it, but it's my go-to book because it's full of pictures and fun, and it gets that it gets my enthusiasm going before I can go and do a lesson because. Um, Sometimes you need a boost, don't you? Sometimes you need a boost. Although people will argue that my enthusiasm far outweighs my professionalism anyway. Um, and I, I just, I'm lucky enough to just love my job. And it's as simple as that. I, so I, do you love coaching people or is it more about the dogs for you? Ah, you, you got me. I think I'm one of those very, very lucky people. Oh, I would say, I no, 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 I'm not going to go for a 50-50. I would go for more people than the dog. When wow. I was a dog handler, I loved training my dogs. But now the reinforcement I get from um, guiding, coaching and instructing people to guide, coach and instruct their dog. So I'm seeing the dog work as a kind of a third person through through the, their handler from me. And I know that that's working. But the reinforcement you get from watching the person succeed with their dog is fantastic so i will go for people I, I, uh, yeah the person the when the person i'm lucky enough i've got airplanes at, at our training um place where we train from and when that person searches the upper floor of a boeing 747 jet and finds gun oil truffle oil even licorice tea bags when that person finds that thing with their dog doing a stone bock, and I will only say three to five second indication, and they kind of turn around and look at you as the instructor, going, I found something on an airplane. It's like the best thing ever. Rob, 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 Rob. Look, look, look. That's worth every penny. <laughs> yeah, I meant to ask you that as well. How the hell are you searching planes? You know, we see these photos, and it's like, Jesus Christ, like, you must have some connections, Rob. <laughs> Very, very lucky. Um, uh, we we pride ourselves on the UK College of Sandbox, pride ourselves on professionalism and adding the best things we can add. And we have a, uh, a, a semi-permanent lease on a large classroom establishment, a large building with classrooms, with search rooms in. Um, that 
leads us into an airfield or vehicle testing area that is probably 1,500 acres large with a runway down the middle and the owners of that place um, have for some reason unknown to me but I love it um, they store jumbo jets there so there are three or four jumbo jets we can search there are post-war and cold war planes knocking about that we can search we can track on um, the Land Rover off-road vehicle testing site if, if it's safe to do so we can track through fields over go-kart tracks over runways provided it's safe and we've it's all booked up which it is we work in partnership with um, Brundingthorpe vehicle testing ground they have been probably the most welcoming people for a whole load of dog trainers so how does the college work in terms of accreditation and where I know you do like detector dog handler courses does that allow people to then go on and and apply for those kind of jobs ah brilliant great question okay things are changing for us in 2019 right let's go back to the start we have um, we've been supported by the open college network so we can um, run Open College Network Level 3, which is um, kind of A-level-ish qualifications for detection dog handlers. Now, the course is quite intensive. It's only six days because it gives you a basic foundation. It will not turn you into a licensed dog and handler, obviously, six days. If, if, if you could turn out a licensed dog and handler in six days, the whole police training um, calendar would be changed completely because you'd save a fortune. It can, we cannot do it in six days. So you can do the detection dog handler course six days, which gives you a wonderful foundation. Then from there, you lead on to the instructor course, which allows you to teach uh, in the pet dog environment your dog classes. So if you're anywhere in the country and your your students, your your clientele, your clients are getting a little bit fed up of the repetitive kind of once they've done their good dog manners stuff or their gold, silver, bronze, uh, kennel club guys or whatever, we will give you something else to add to your classes to keep your business ticking over. So you'll become a scent dog instructor. Now we've had so many, so many people come back and want to start competition work and teaching people a, to a higher criteria. We have now um, designed and I've written and I've designed a program and it's based on my life as a as a police dog handler and we call it scent venture work so we would train you as an instructor to teach scent venture which involves um, and I wish this was a video because I could show you crafty videos of um, of little burglaries and such like I filmed myself doing on our own classroom well, if, if you link them to me, Robert, I can put them in the show notes so people yeah. can check them out. Yeah, I, I can do that. And then you'll see how watching this video that I've made, these different videos that I've made, um, paints a picture of you working out your search area. So the, the suspect um, was videoed doing a burglary in the classroom, going down the stairs, going into all the other rooms, climbing out of a window, running across an open field, so now you've got your dog where you could um, 
go to that window where that suspect has dropped out and start a track where you could find some evidence, and this is all set up, all planned by us, where you can find some evidence that will lead you to different search areas. And we're writing this course in order for you to use tracking, any kind of nose work, um, any kind of search work, where your dog will enjoy and you can get points for doing these searches. And you have to go through sewage pipes. Um, I'm not... <laughs> I, Nick, I had to, so why can't you? <laughs> but it, everything's based on what I've kind of done over the years. To add a little bit more fun and more excitement, we tried it out on our last detection dog handler course with some very experienced uh, pet dog instructors, and they loved it. They loved it so much, they want to sell this to their classes. So we're going to um, hold uh, advanced courses where we're going to teach um, and train and get on board um, the UK college ambassadors who can spread themselves amongst the country. We, we've got these different ambassadors who are very, very interested in setting this up and including that. So that's our pet dog market. As a result of more and more people asking what to do, now, I can't go into too much detail about this because um, uh, we're uh, in negotiation with a couple of very, very large companies. The very large companies have asked us if we could supply dogs who could search to a police licensing standard to look for, and all I'm going to say is stuff related to their company. It's, it's not, it is not drugs or bombs. So um, that's for the police and the security people to do. But there are companies out there that want search dogs to find other things. So what we're going to do is we're going to run separate courses where you would do your detection handler course and then you can come back and do a vehicle search course and a route search course and an area search course. Put those all together and I have um, other experienced, um, there's a couple of police officers and a couple of security people I have two police officers who both of them have got um, degrees as well. One's got a BSc and the other's um, just doing a master's degree who will license those handlers to a an advanced licensing standard so that they will be licensed by the UK college and we will hold them on a, a kind of an employment agency site, if you like. We will hold them in our filing system and when these um, the companies that we are in um, negotiation with at the minute want a dog, we can supply them with a dog that we trust to look for that. Because putting a new scent up, say, I've got, I've got to try and be careful here. Say the company wants us to look for scent A, and we have got a dog that is superbly and well licensed on finding tea bags. Well, we would, we would, um, recreate scent A from the company and then re-classically condition that dog off tea, well he could still find tea bags, but we would classically condition this dog on the new scent that the company wants us to find, license that dog on the scent with the, the two police officers who are very experienced and both have got degrees and then we can allow that handler to go to that company to do some professional searching for us. That's really, really cool because obviously then people have the opportunity to make money through running their own pet dog training classes and all that kind of thing, but also potentially down the line as a functioning yeah. handler. Yeah, even if, it, even if it's um, 
I know we've had some people say, but I would do that voluntary. I just want to work my dog. Well, you can't really. You know, you've got to, you don't want to run at a loss. So petrol. Yeah. Shut <laughs> up and get paid, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got people who really want to work their dog. And I'm lucky. I've, I've been there. I've, I've found drugs. I've, um, I've never found a bomb, fortunately. I've found drugs. I've found knives, guns, property. Um, I found bad guys. I found missing people. To f- actually find something that you don't know is there on a professional basis with your dog is such an intrinsic reward anyway. It's just brilliant, which is probably why you get folk out there who volunteer for search and rescue work. Yeah, absolutely. It's just fantastic. So, so what's the uh, website that people can find more about this kind of stuff? On? Um, it's the UK College of Scent Dogs www.ukcsd.com Okay, can people find you on social media and stuff? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Under, uh, the, under the same UK College of yeah, Scent Dogs? Uh, any questions like that, um, us or one of the team will grab a, a we'll answer it. Um, we're pressurizing ourselves because we've got a 100% reply record. So we will reply. Um, it may not be me, it might be Paul, it might be Steve, it might be... Um, Karen or Emma, but one of us will reply. Um, probably me, because at the minute I'm finishing off my book, so I spend too much time in front of the computer and it's driving me mad. But, um, yeah, Any idea of a release date on that, Rob? Um, hopefully for Christmas. Oh, super. There you go. Just yeah, in time. Present. Um, introduction to Scent Work by me. Um, and I hope it will talk you all the way through from, from why... Because those are the questions that I kept on asking whilst I was in work. Why are, the, why are these Spaniels getting so much enjoyment out of this? Well, go and find out. Well, I have. And, and the pleasure a dog gets from scent work is what I've written in my book. I've, I think I've got two or three chapters just talking about the seeking and why actually wanting is better than having. I'm sounding like my mum now. My mum used to say that to me loads of times. <laughs> And, and all, all that, the behind-the-scenes things. And then I think from chapter one, two, and three is the behind-the-scenes how, what, and why. And then four, five, six, seven, and eight starts off with um, the training, your concepts of training, how you can apply your training concepts, you know, lure, reward, PEC 300, pre-MAC principle, how you can apply all those principles, all those concepts to search and why it is better for you to learn different methods rather than one, because you'll be dealing with different dogs. And then I, I and then I go on to talk about creating a, a scent studio, making your own scent studio um, with pots and pipes and pasting tables and everything else I've used over the years. I'm going to give all those secrets away. That's all coming out, so it'll be like a little bit of a DIY book as well. And then, Brilliant how to start off with classically conditioning the scent and then going on from classically conditioning to um, steal a method off a great friend of mine, a guy called Steve White, who's an American uh, police dog trainer, and uh, go through choice games. People might want to end it at choice games. People might want to go on to start um, hiding it. And so I, all, all the equipment I've shown you already, how to hide it about those, why we use equipment, because you may hear some people say, you don't want to be searching in all that equipment. You want to get out into the real world as quickly as you can. But isn't it nice to, if something goes wrong in the real world, 
come back where the dog feels safe and it's a great environment and he knows that the equipment are great fun and he knows nothing can hurt him. So he's, he's, he's in a great, great environment. Um, if you go straight out, of course, you can, you can get um, environmental punishers that you're sometimes not aware of. Um, and as soon as the environmental punishers come in, you can imagine then the association of finding the ascent with an environmental punisher could make a, a terrible, you could almost poison your scent, couldn't you? Almost like poisoning a cube. So you, you have to be a little bit careful when you go from the studio out into the environment. And which is why if you look at, ever looked at the photographs or the films of my dogs at our training venue searching the aeroplanes, you may see the pipes and pipes and pots and stuff left on the floor. So the dog will come in and search a line of, of drainage pipes. I, I know what I'm doing. And then go from drainage pipes into the plane and start searching the plane rather than come straight into the plane, not used to the environment, and, and you could have a bad association. So there's a chapter on that there, about why we use that. And then at the back of the book will be um, lesson plans. I'm going to print out some lesson plans, because you know training without a plan is just kind of a wish, really. You're just wishing. So I'll share my lesson plans with you, and how I put together a six-week course, and, and why we run it in the way that we run it. Um, it'll be in the, the appendices and if you want to read it, read it if you don't, well you don't so, you know, it's, it's just I, I want to share my knowledge I've had a fantastic time over the last 30 years, an unbelievable time, and why should the police have all the fun? <laughs> exactly, well honestly your book sounds really, really awesome, I wish I had something like that when I was starting out I think we could probably talk for another hour about Sentinel, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> You probably have to wrap it up there. Before you go, just a few things I'd like to run over. I've recently started experimenting with Patreon. Patreon is a platform which allows fans to donate money to the things that they love, from comics to music to podcasts like this one. It allows people like me that put a lot of time into creating content for people to enjoy, to monetize that so that we can continue to do that and continue to improve it with the funding it provides. However, it's better than that. I'm not just asking you for your money. You're going to get a whole load of benefits from Q&As to email support. It just depends on how much you decide to uh, go in, really. We can even end up doing video one-to-ones, which would be really cool to get a chance to speak to some of you and go over the, the problems that you're actually having with your dogs. Of course, you'll be able to do that in the Q&As as well. So if you are enjoying this podcast and you want to donate and you... and you want to do that then i would really really appreciate that so you can do that over at patreon.com slash nick you can also join our podcast discussion group on facebook where we talk about the podcast and you can ask questions that you might have about the podcast and hopefully we can do our best to answer them we can discuss scent work we can discuss uh police dogs there's so much that rob touched on that would be really cool to have uh some back and forth on so if you want to join the discussion group then just search on facebook for dog talk with nick benger podcast discussion group and ask to join and i'll accept you as always if you want to grab the show notes for this episode as well then just head over to nickbenger.com slash rob hyphen hewings that's it guys see ya